What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ball in the Real World. In what's just been a crazy day of news in world basketball, it began with a Boomers USA pre-Olympic warm-up game potentially being cancelled. That eventually did get cancelled. Uh, that's all come uh, almost in the shadow of uh, a Liz Cambage situation where there, an altercation has taken place. And we're going to stick to the uh, men's basketball side of this thing because... I'm very honored to be joined by my ESPN colleague, uh, host of the Hoop Collective, Brian Windhorst. Uh, Brian, how is Vegas treating you? You're coming coming to us from Las Vegas. Has it treated you better than it's treated Team USA up until this point? <laughs> you know, um, we're here. We're here for a long time. I, I'm I'm used to Las Vegas in July because for years, decades, I guess, summer league has been played in July, and um, uh, Team USA also has their business in July, most mostly, and so I've spent too much too much time in my life in Vegas in July, but it is the home of summer basketball in the U.S. It's where almost everything happens, and um, so there's a lot of people who are very comfortable here, and um, it makes perfect sense for Team USA to be having this event right now. But it is. You know, they're, I don't. I can't quite tell whether they're holding on by a by the rope or holding on by a thread. Um, they elected to because the, uh, the you know you can't t- take any friends and family to Tokyo. One of the incentives that USA Basketball gave to the players was that you can have friends and family come with you to Las Vegas and be with you before you leave to go to Japan, and. They put them in a testing protocol, but, um, um, you know, I don't, you know, who knows where COVID comes from, but I I don't know if that was the best idea. Um, And so now we've got one U.S. player, Bradley Beal, who's positive and has to go home. Another who's in, who's in, um, who's in protocols. And now we wait, right? We know about COVID. We wait, we wait for the tests for the next couple of days and, um, we'll see um you know they very well could be in a crisis point in two days or they could be just fine so um you know i was in the press conference i mean one of the great things about this week is that they're letting us have face-to-face press conferences and there's even just a even little modicum of um of interaction away from the mics with the players and coaches and sure you know i spoke with bradley beal for a you know, Bradley was in there for a long time and we were both masked, but you know, I don't know. So I start my testing protocol for, uh, for Tokyo in, um, 24 hours and I'm vaccinated, but I guess at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if I come up positive and can't go. So it's a, it's a, it's a stressful situation. And, uh, the team USA is going to be stressed and, um, so we'll see. I mean, this is, uh, this is, I think we're, I think this is just the beginning of stuff that happens with athletes at the Olympics. I mean, we know what's going on in Tokyo right now when it comes to new positive cases and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm also curious, and I don't know if you know this, we've spoken about it a small amount, but what are the protocols when it comes to a teammate or a member of staff getting a positive test? Because the Australian camp, from what I was told, was Basically, if they were told that if someone got a positive case, then that whole team would effectively not be able to travel to Tokyo. Now, I'm under the impression that's more of a, an Australian Olympic Committee sort of thing. 
Um, is there is it something similar with USA basketball? It seems a little bit more relaxed in the sense that the game against Spain, for example, is still just going ahead, I believe. Um, well, we'll someone see. has a positive it's... case and they're still going ahead. We'll see. It's not, you know, we're not there yet. <laughs> um, yeah. So during the first few days of practice, um, you know, the, the Americans had a, a sort of a junior team. They were on NBA players, but a junior team that was here in Las Vegas practicing against them. One player of that team um, tested positive who had been vaccinated. Two other players who were not vaccinated were placed into contact tracing because they weren't vaccinated. And so I think that's kind of the um, rule that's going on here. Now, <clears throat> their training camp was only five days long. So all three players vanished. And, you know, we didn't reveal, we revealed the names, but we didn't reveal who tested positive versus who was unvaccinated. And because we don't, we have a policy, we don't say that. Um, so getting a positive test doesn't mean the whole team obviously is shutting down because they continued to play. And obviously Bradley Beal has a positive test and has continued to play. Um, now, Jeremy Grant uh, has been put into protocols, but it's not because he's unvaccinated. It was because of proximity to Bradley Beal. I don't understand how that was established. This is one of those things like um, they could very well be making it up as they go along. I don't think that they are, but yeah. we didn't get a, a handout on what their protocols were. Um, so we will, we will wait and see. Um, I know that within 14 days of Tokyo, because it's the same for me, if you test positive 14 days in Tokyo, you're ineligible instantaneously. So wow. the question is, if the U.S. got a spate of positive tests, would they just raise the white flag or would they try to marshal another team to assemble real quickly who was not COVID positive and tried to go. Hopefully that's not going to be an issue, but I mean, you know, if someone in my shoes, I have to prepare for that reality because we really don't know where the tests are going to go the next couple of days. Now they're testing every day. And in theory, the point of testing every day is so that you stop an outbreak from blooming, but I don't know. I guess it's the one upside to this team USA team is if there is a, a slate of positive tests, you could still field a, you know, probably the most talented team in the tournament. Australia doesn't have that luxury. They've all tested negative up until this point. Um, but that's obviously a fear. Can, I, can um, I ask you, why is that their policy if one player? I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad policy. I'm just asking. Does that just go along with Australia's more conservative approach to everything with COVID? Pretty what much. It's, it's in order to, for the, at the best of their abilities, protect the entire Australian Olympic team. Um, it's basically the way it's been dealt in this country. To put it in perspective, um, Sydney, where I am right now, had 97 new cases today. 97 is an absurdly large number um, for this city and for this country, um, for a state to have. And I'm in lockdown right now. Um, I have right. been in lockdown for three weeks. That's just how we've done it here. Um, I, I don't really care about the sort of political back and forth that comes with that sort of policy um but it's just the way it's been handled in this country up until this point um on the the downside is we only have a 10 percent vaccination rate um so it's it's not perfect by any means um but yeah i would say it's just because we've been conservative about it and we're not going to change that the Australian okay. olympic committee is a government and, entity 
and I'm sorry, I'm asking you questions. It's your podcast. No, of course. But, um, will the will the basketball team do they stay in the Olympic Village with the other athletes, or because they're a bunch of millionaires that? Because like at the Team USA, they will. St- I don't know. I don't exactly know where they're staying, but they're staying at a. Do they have a boat again? No, there's a boat, but I think they had a five-star <laughs> hotel. But yes, in Rio de Janeiro, they had a boat, uh, the cruise ship that they brought in. So, um, and that, no, from that, from what I understand, uh, they they're in the village. That's okay. it's part of, I guess it's part of the culture, which is you're playing for more than yourself. Um, right. That's just that's the thing that's just that comes with being an Australian boomers player. No matter who's on the team, it's got what eight, nine NBA players. I, I think the the idea is that shouldn't matter. I see. That's the altruistic way of, of going about it. I, I can understand that. It just, <laughs> you know, the NBA is used to exceptionalism and just, just one, one tiny facet of it. No, of course. And there's, there's also a reason why, like, it's, it's not the main reason. It might not even be a big reason, but there's a reason why Ben Simmons isn't on this team. Um, and that would have a, a small thing to do with that. Um, I want to ask you as well, um, this Team USA team, it's not just these COVID disruptions that they're dealing with, it's losses to Nigeria, Australia. Um, they haven't looked convincing. They haven't looked as convincing as this team has over the past, I'd say, nearly two decades. Um, my main, we'll talk about the basketball stuff, but I, I want to know if they care because from an Australian perspective, national team sports is sort of at the forefront of the national conscience. It doesn't seem to be the case, uh, especially for basketball over there. Um, I feel like almost women's soccer and then maybe some specific Olympic sports, maybe gymnastics and swimming and those sorts of things, um, but never basketball. When this, when this team loses, do they actually care or is it sort of water under the bridge for them because their goals are elsewhere? No, I think they care. Um, and I, I'm, I, I'm honestly saying I believe they were trying to win those games. Um, Certainly the way Greg Popovich played his rotation against Nigeria, it was a tie game with seven minutes to go. And Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant came into the game. Uh, again, I yep. can't remember what the score was against Australia, but he brought in the, you know, the starters to finish the game with six or seven minutes to go to try to win. So are yep. they playing with the same level of intensity that the NBA finals are seeing right now? No, of course, I don't think the Australians are either. Um, so. Um, uh, but it does matter to them, um, you know, after, you know, in China at the World Cup in 2019, after the Americans lost to the French in the quarterfinals, um, uh, the, getting the next day they played against Serbia and they got down 32 to seven. That game they didn't care about because they knew that yeah. they couldn't win a medal and the difference between finishing uh, fifth and ninth didn't mean anything to them because they'd actually already qualified for the Olympics. So yeah. um, I have seen them not care. And that's what not caring looks like. I do think that they care. I just think that there are certain realities that they're dealing with that um, maybe not everybody understands just yet. What are you, what are you putting it down to these sorts of losses? Cause the one against Australia, you can, you can understand it's an Australian team that's been together for a long time. A lot of NBA talent on it, but it's NBA talent mixed with, you know, international sort of sentiments and values that come with the way these guys grew up playing and that sort of thing. The loss to Nigeria was a different level because it was, you know, similar level athletes. They sort of just got shot out the gym and 
again, Nigeria is more structured than they than they've been in the past. You know, largely because of Mike Brown up there. But you know, what are you putting these losses down to? Is it is it largely um, the idea of these guys not being able to play international basketball? Like, what do you what are you thinking? I do think the international basketball is something that um, bites them all the time. Um, in the Nigeria game, which was a three point game in the fourth quarter. I don't remember who was at the free throw line, but uh, somebody, you know, shot the ball and was rattling on the rim and the Nigerian player took it off the rim. And uh, the crowd gasped because yeah. the crowd's used to that being goaltending. And so all the, also were all the players. And there's some rules about the intentional foul rules that the players were generally mystified when that happened. So that could cost them some points here and there. But the thing is, is that they used to have such a huge margin for error that they could get away with because, you know, officiating is completely different. They allow more physical play and that hurts. And the rules are really, the rules are created to make it tougher on the Americans, quite frankly. Although nowadays it's not just the Americans, the the NBA players where there's no defensive three seconds, you know, um, the center can stand in the lane and guard the front of the rim as long as he wants all American systems, all, you know, NBA styles of systems designed to create space are predicated on the ability that the center cannot stand there. So that is not there. So, but they have always overcome that, those awkward transitions because their level of talent was so much higher. Well, the talent gap is closed. And in this particular year, this team has no chemistry. So, Usually, Team USA gets together three out of every four summers to play. One year for the World Cup, one year for the Olympics, and one year. Uh, well, it had you. It had used to be between the World Cups and the Olympics. Now they're on back-to-back years, supposed to be, and um, it actually hasn't happened yet. Um, but they would do it going into the World Cup, so that the players would have spent three. They would just have like a week together. The players would spend three separate summers playing together in the redeem team, which is what we call the 2008 Olympic champions in Beijing. Those that same core guys had played together in 2006, seven, eight. So it wasn't quite like the Australians or the Argentinians who had played together for a decade, but there was momentum. And even in 2016 um, that you had 2014 guys who had won in Turkey a lot of them played in 2016 and even some of the 2016 guys had played in 2012. So here we are this year, the 2019 team was devoid of stars uh, largely. Um, And that was for much, many reasons I won't go into here, but only two of those players made it through to 2021 and really only one of them so far, because one was Chris Middleton, who's not on the team because he's playing in the finals. So there's one holdover player from 2019. Then you have Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. Sure. And you have no, you had nothing in 2020, obviously, because of COVID and because they were playing the NBA season this summer. So instead of you, instead of you going to the Olympics with this some level of, of traction, they have none. And you could see that evident, you know, it was very evident in the game, in the in those two games that they lost. Also, the fact that um, it's an unusual offseason where the players were finishing in, in May and June and then having to rev back up in July. And frankly, some of them aren't in good condition. I, you know, the, the guy who is in the best condition on the U.S. team, in my view, is Zach Levine. He looks to be in the best shape. 
And that's because the Chicago Bulls did not play in the bubble last last summer. They didn't make it there. And then they didn't make the playoffs this year. So you look at a guy like Jason Tatum. He played into the bubble last year all the way to the conference final. So he played until late September, restarted in, in January, played through January, restarted in December, played all the way through, um, and uh, had COVID, a very bad case of COVID along the way. And, you know, he's played so many more minutes than Zach Levine. And they haven't gotten up. It wasn't like their their buys were used to this cycle. So, all that together results in not exactly high performance basketball. And so the question is, and now they have COVID problems. So the question is, yeah, do they have a margin for error to overcome that? Because in 1996 and 2000, in 2000 they got pushed, but they had that margin for error and they were able to overcome it. And really, even. 2016, they won the, the uh, gold medal game by, by 30 points. Um, yeah. So, you know, when people say, well, USA basketball dominance is long over, I say, well, it may be over, but it's not long over because the gold medal game they, they last played, granted it was five years ago, was lopsided. So um, that's the question is, can they overcome that? And that, you know, that makes it worth watching, doesn't it? I think that's, uh, that's probably good for the game. I mean, that's why the current NBA finals and the NBA playoffs were so exciting too. We didn't know who was going to win every game because LeBron wasn't there, right? Um, When it comes to this team, you speak about the margin of error and I'm looking at that Bradley Beal spot. And is there a person you can throw in there who can maybe make that margin of error a bit wider? Is there, I I noticed a lack of front court depth on this USA team. Um, you know, do you bring in a guy who's been around the system? I don't know if it's a Plumley. I don't think he's a difference maker, but is there no. a big man who you can throw in there? Maybe a DeAndre Jordan, that sort of thing. I think he's excelled at the international game. I'm thinking about uh, the ball hitting the rim, him hitting, you know, live balls off that rim, that sort of thing. Um, what, are you th- what are you thinking about for that, that Bradley Beal spot? I don't know if there's going to be a Jeremy Grant spot too, but there's an open spot on this team. You're going to add Devin Booker, Chris Middleton. Yeah. I don't think, I think Jeremy Grant's going to be okay. He has not tested positive. He just had close contact. I think he's going to come out of um, quarantine on our Saturday, uh, your Sunday. Um, They should not replace him with a guard. Um, So in 2019, uh, the Americans were very focused on the Serbians. Um, They had... um, uh, Obviously, Nikola Jokic. They had Boban Marjanovic and... um, the other big, the guy he played in the NBA for a few years, uh, begins with an R, and I'm having trouble. Uh, Radukla. Um, they had three high quality, they had three quality bigs, two of which were NBA players, one of which was obviously an all-star. And so they were a little bit concerned about size. And so when they went to China, they took three classic seven-foot big men. Um, Brooke Lopez, Miles Turner, I don't know, maybe Miles Turner's 6'11 or whatever, uh, and Mason Plumley because they felt like they had to have those matchup bigs. Well, the problem was because of the three second rule, uh, Gobert stood in the center of the lane, Rudy Gobert in France, and they didn't have anybody to pull him out. They did have Brooke Lopez who does shoot threes. Unfortunately, he couldn't make anything in China. And so they just ignored him. He actually got to the point where he was unplayable. Um, they almost lost to Turkey with Hito Turkoglu, who's a small forward in the NBA playing center. Um, and so when they got to this, building this team, they said, we're not going to have that again. We're going to have smaller, more um, 
uh, versatile centers. So they picked Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo, and Kevin Love, although you could argue Kevin Love's really not that uh, athletic and versatile anymore. Um, and so they are small, smaller, but allegedly, you know, better prepared for the international game with this roster. I mean, we'll see. Uh, Bam and Draymond played very, very well in their win over Argentina, what they were creating, and it totally took Argentina out of it. They totally they took took advantage of Luis Scola. So, um, you know, one thing that I think is an issue here is Damian Lillard, who's obviously a um, a terrific offensive player, one of the best we have in the NBA. And I have to say, this is the first time I've ever seen Dame shoot with a multicolored ball, and the way the ball comes out of his hand is beautiful. I mean, he, shoot, <laughs> he, he shoots the most beautiful ball with, with that ball um, that I've ever seen. Um, but he is an absolute liability on defense. And the Boomers went after him in that regard. In fact, they went after the Americans on the inside. They probably, I haven't reviewed the tape to say this, but they probably threw the ball or you know bounced past it in there into the restricted area, you know, three feet from the basket, probably 12 times, 10 times. And every single time the man was either wide open from a back cut or a, or a back screen or had a very advantageous um, uh, matchup. Yeah. I, think, I think they ended up with 22 baskets in the paint. I don't know how many they had in the restricted area, but it was a lot. And so they told, and a lot of times it was switches on Lillard or others. So um, Brad, uh, Brett, losing Bradley Beal, it hurts, but it may free up time for more Drew Holiday. I don't know what Drew Holiday is going to have left, um, yeah. but in you know, and you could also maybe go with a bigger guard like Zach Levine, um, who could play there because they have to address the Damian Lillard situation. That is going to be a guy they're going to they're going to target and um kevin love has not looked good at all um and he didn't even play against uh, australia and um he's just not looked good at all and so that was a gamble that doesn't appear to be paying off yet if it will it ever and so they may need another big man just to um have some options down there because you know they still have three players that are coming to them and two of them play guard drew holiday and, and devin booker so they have they're going to get some reinforcements for Tokyo, which is not something most of these teams are going to have the option to do. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia podcast network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on the ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Kevin Love, he, he didn't play that many minutes in that game against Australia, but he looked slow. His touch wasn't there. The shot wasn't there. Um, like, the USA is maybe the only team that can afford to bring, basically, you know, throw away that 11th or 12th spot and, and bring in a guy just, I guess, as a favor to him, because that's what it sort of looks like right now. Um, and I don't know if this team with only, I guess, one play, with, with one big and bam, can afford to not have, any depth in that position, especially against Australia, who I pointed to as a team with a lack of front court depth. But I, I don't know who would have thought that Nick Kay would tear up the USA. <laughs> Not me, um, <laughs> but he did. Um, so, 
yes, we were all very surprised when Kevin Love got the invitation. And um, I remember I heard about it about a week out and, um, you know, I, I said, well, I know Kevin wants to play, but, you know, they're not going to pick him. And then I heard, you know, that it was Popovich who, who called Kevin and said, hey, we want you. And it was just stunning. I mean, you know, Kevin Love from four or five years ago, yes, he's a great rebounder, elite rebounder, great outlet passer, and he can shoot from the perimeter. Um, I wouldn't say the ideal uh, FIBA big man because he's not that versatile and he can be exploited, um, but you can play zone and you can kind of hide an, an unathletic player. And, you know, speaking frankly, there's some plotting European centers out there that you could throw him up against, but you know, he has just come in and, you know, he's in his thirties coming off several seasons of injuries and it just, it just shows. So um, obviously that doesn't look like a win right now. Uh, and so you may have to, as you look at who to replace Beal with, you may have to try to cover up that hole that you have. And um, we'll see. I, I, I would be, if love even makes it there, I would be surprised if we see him very many minutes, but of course, now that I've said that he'll have a game where he hits three threes and is a hero. <laughs> You you spoke about the Australian team too and, and the way they sort of went at Dame. I think the USA was switching really early in that game and I think they did throughout it. Um, and then Australia showed something that they had shown in previous campaigns, not necessarily in the previous game to Argentina, but just the, the ball and player movement in the half court offensively. It's the thing that that program sort of become famous for. Um, and like I said, Nick K did a good job at the top, you know, passing out you know, from the top of the key, passing out of the post, that sort of thing. A lot of buckets in the paint, a lot of back cuts, a lot of, you know, taking advantage of those mismatches. Um, for you as someone who, you cover the NBA for a living, you cover international basketball too, but do you enjoy this part of your career where you get to go and watch basketball like the, like the style that the boomers play and I guess just watch a, a more pure version of the sport? Well, I can just tell you that... Uh... I mean, I've covered the NBA for 18 years. And um, when I went to China and watched the Australians play, I just couldn't believe the Patty Mills that I was seeing. I was like, <laughs> my God, he looks like Steve Nash. And um, I remember coming back and telling people, like, you just won't believe the way Patty Mills. I mean, I mean, I don't know if he, you know, it's the first time I'd seen him play like that. Um, and I was just like, oh, and I know that, uh, Popovich has tried to have him play like that more. I mean, you know, Patty Mills is a highly respected player in the NBA, but he's not seen as a, as a lead guard as the way he plays for the boomers. And it's just, I mean, in a way I was kind of uh, happy that uh, he played so well because I kept telling people leading up to the game. And I was like, well, just wait, do you see Patty Mills the way he plays? You will not <laughs> recognize the way he plays because, the, you know, a lot of years for the uh, Spurs, he was like a spot up shooter. You know, he was not a guy who, um, you know, I mean, he would run the pick and roll, but he was not a guy who, who was such a creator like that. So, um, you know, I, I knew I was going to see that, you know, um, watching for somebody who's used to watching the NBA game, uh, FIBA can be a little bit uh, excruciating. Um, but that is the way the world plays. And um, that is the way that, the, you know, it is determined, you know, and so, it's not that much of an adjustment, um, but uh, I like seeing the Americans. It's like, it's like right now the British Open is going on. Well, the American golfers don't play, you know, uh, you know Scottish or English link style golf ever. 
and they are expected to go over there and they're expected to compete at that level playing a different style of game and the americans uh you know typically have the most of the best players in the world so go over there and and, and show that you know in, in an ultimate road game and so I do believe it should be that way, but the, the thing that is so vastly different, and I tell this to everybody who will listen and people who will not listen, the, the biggest difference between FIBA basketball and NBA basketball is the 40 minute game. It sounds like it's basic, yeah. but it is so, so important because the reduced amount of possessions, first off in the NBA game, there's so many possessions that teams can survive bad stretches. The other thing is that when you have a flaw, it is more exploitable, whether it's a style of play or a, a spot on your roster, it is more exploitable over 48 minutes than it is over 40. And so um, I covered the 2006, then called the world championships in Tokyo. I covered the uh, world, they covered the world cup in 2019 in China, which is to say that I was at two of the big disappointments and I was there when the Americans lost to Greece. I was there when the Americans lost to France. I was there when they lost to Serbia, which they made a big comeback in. I was obviously there this week when they had these two losses. So I have seen them lose five, out of the six games that they've lost in the last uh, 17 years. I have been there for five of them. And I will tell you that all five of those games, if they were 48 minutes instead of 40, the U.S. would have won. In fact, maybe even 44 minutes, the U.S., would have won. Maybe I can't say that about the Australia game, but you know, obviously it was tightening up. Um, Durant hits if he's three straight threes, which could very have happened. But I, you know, the the talent differential that the U.S. has gets narrowed. That's one of the reasons why yep. Luka Doncic and Slovenia are so yep. dangerous because Doncic tends to wear down in a forty-eight minute game in the fourth quarter. Well, he is not going to have that happen because he will only have to play in a forty-minute game. And so beyond the technique uh, that is different, beyond the rule changes, beyond the, the way you can defend, beyond the physicality that the officials allow, convincing NBA players that play at a certain level and are willing to give up baskets here and there because they know they can make them back later, convincing them to be on edge from the start in single elimination, 40-minute basketball is a massive difference from what they're used to for the other you know, eight months of the year where they're playing in the NBA. I noticed in both the Nigeria game and the Australia game, it was almost as though the USA kept it a bit too late to go on that run. Um, it, it happened both games. You know, we know Dame can can go off. We know KD can can hit shots whenever he wants to. And it just seemed like maybe they they try to flick that switch with four minutes to go. Whereas I think we saw Patty flick that switch with maybe six or seven minutes to go um, on Patty um, because just so, you know, I think Australia is going to eat up what you just said about him um, in a very positive way. The people around his camp that I speak to, they, they really want NBA decision makers to see what he does at this level every time he plays on the international level and say, <laughs> hey, we want to give him a shot. Let's, let's put the ball in his hands and see what happens. Because to be frank, he is pretty dominant when he plays world champ world cup or olympic basketball any sort of boomers patty and he plays it at, at that level and he's sort of been waiting for that opportunity waiting for a, a, a gm to say we want that patty in the nba can you bring that right it never comes right he he remains that 
a complimentary point guard sort of player, a, a six man guy. Do you do you envision that ever happening? If if he continues to play at this level, we saw the way he took KD off the dribble. He takes Draymond Green off the dribble. It's I get it's a different game too, but I don't know. It's his. I know his sentiment is I'd love to have the opportunity to do this in the NBA. Yeah. Well, so now he's he's been on one team the whole time. I guess what he was with, was he with the Warriors first, or, or am I misremembering that? Portland. Is, was he with Portland? Okay. Yeah. But he's essentially played one his whole career on one team. He's been he's been a prominent or at least a, a a playable NBA player on one team. Right. So um, here's the thing: uh, what's happened in the NBA uh, is the Chris Paul effect. So Chris Paul went to the Oklahoma mm. City Thunder, and they had a great year, unexpected great season made the playoffs and then he went to the suns and maybe it'll be a championship but he made a huge difference and i do think that there is a desire out there for some of these teams to can we get a veteran point guard who can come in here and be a difference you know lift our program and i think that's why you're going to see a guy like kyle lowry get, well chris paul's mm. going to probably become a free agent this summer too and get paid a lot of money probably in <laughs> phoenix but maybe elsewhere that's why I think you're going to see a demand for Kyle Lowry because Kyle Lowry is a champion point guard has played, you know, so many years for the Raptors. He may be on the market. And so I think that somebody's going to probably try to pay him to come be that player. Um, because I do think that in addition to the way he plays, I think you see how Patty leads um, yeah. the way he leads. And I don't know, like if I was an NBA team and I was like, boy, I'm really trying to step up, raise my game. I had to think about it before I suggested which teams um, you know, I would think about it. You know, um, maybe Patty is a guy who, who could be seen that way, you know? And um, I don't know though. He is, he is, he's pigeonholed a little bit in the NBA. That happens to guys, yeah. man. Um, they do yeah. one thing and, and then there's a desire for that thing. Um, but I mean, people talk about these great sort of combo guards who are sort of undrafted, and they talk about guys like Fred Van Vliet um, and Spencer Dinwiddie. They talk about those types yeah. of players. Patty would, <laughs> Patty did it first. You know, that was kind of the role that Patty played. And, and frankly, like, if you saw what Fred Van Vliet got paid, I mean, the market for those types of players is pretty big no matter what. So, um, you know, he... How much discussion is there over the missed free throw that he had against um, Argentina? Is that is that discussed at all? Not not as much of a discussion. Uh, was that against was that against Spain? Was it that Spain? One? Sorry, in Argentina. That was against Spain. Spain, and then but, yeah. but there's there's some discussion around it. There's more of a discussion around a, a missed a, a block charge call in the Olympics prior to that. Um, mm. That most Australians feel should have been a, a charge and that game probably would have gone Australia's way. Australia wouldn't be going into this campaign without a medal. Um, but there's, there's some point to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Luke Longley quote is legendary. I mean, it's not legendary in the NBA. People yeah. don't know about it, but um, those who know, know. Uh, it's a legendary <laughs> quote. Um, I, you know, I don't remember that game chapter in verse. I was obviously there. I watched it, but um I remember feeling bad for Patty because I thought Patty had a chance to win the most valuable player award. If going into the final four, I would have mm. called him the favorite to win it actually. And um, I felt bad for that. I just, I actually felt bad for the Australian team um, on my flight back to the U S 
the next day after the bronze medal game, uh, Aaron Baines was on my flight. I know him a little bit. I just didn't have the heart. I didn't have the heart to, to say anything more than hello. Yeah. yeah. Because I knew how devastating that had to be. And he had to immediately go, go to work. It was like no time. You yeah. immediately have to go report to your NBA team. Um, I tell people who will listen to me because, you know, the world cup is not that big of a deal in the U S it's only a big deal if the Americans lose it. Right. I just, I say to them, I cannot believe Australia came out of that without a medal. I mean, obviously I'm saying things that you guys all know, but it, I, I still can't, I still can't believe it. Um, I, I love the way they played. I love everything about them. And they somehow, you know, I mean, I saw in the run-up in the games in Melbourne, you know, yeah. I could see they were a real team. And I can see that now, to be honest with you, I look at them and I say, that's a real team. You know, people here in Vegas are all talking about odds and, they're all excited about, you know, Nigeria, which, you know, people watch Nigeria first two games. And they started going out and putting down money on them to win the goal because they're 100 to one, which I guess, you know, in this particular yeah. day and age, it's not the worst, you know, throwing down a five dollars on that. But I say, well, look at Australia. Watch Australia play. I and mean, I don't know what their number is. I think somebody told me it was 20 to one. I was like, 20 to one is a pretty wow. good number for that team. Um, you know, so um, I thought they were the best team in, in China and they didn't win. And um, they looked pretty darn good to me this week. Yeah, the, the Boomers are among the more famous national teams in Australia. Um, it's, it's annoying for Australians because they're sort of known for just falling short almost every time. I think well, Boomers, I think they've come fourth four separate times. That's right. Um, including the last two. So that's, that's sort of been the, the bug that's, that's followed them. Um, when you, what's, what's it like as an American who, look, the, the perception of Americans among people from other countries, and, and I've lived in America, I go there a, a lot. Um, it's, it's one of sort of ignorance. It's just from a, a knowledge perspective, but of, uh, of the world. And I think that's particularly true when it comes to international basketball. Um, <laughs> What's it, what's it like to see an Australian team that is very vocal about saying we're here to win gold and we genuinely think we can do it. And I think they, they would think that, and I think it's true that they've demonstrated that they can at least play at that level too. What's it like to see that sort of sentiment come from a, a, an Australian team of all teams? Well, well, the thing about it is, is that the Americans know a lot of the players. Of course. So it's a little bit different than um, when they lost to the Greeks where they, Literally, there wasn't a single um, player. Uh, most of the Americans couldn't pronounce their names. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember Mike Krzyzewski going in the, pro and I, he had preached for, you know, a couple of weeks leading up to, you have to respect your opponents, which is something the Americans always preach in these events. And he's up there saying, boy, and I don't, I may not be quoting him 100% accurately, but he's saying, boy, you know, number seven killed us in the pick and roll. And I was like, number seven. <laughs> you know, um, respect your opponent. Uh, I think it's a little <laughs> bit different because the American players know Patty Mills. They know Matthew Delavadova. They know Joe sure. Ingles. They know Aaron Baines. You know, for years they knew Bogut. Um, you know, they may not know everybody. They may not know Chris Golding. Um, they may not know Nick Kay. They're getting to know Josh Giddy. Um, mm. 
uh, in fact, several people have said to me as I've, as I've had conversations this week, um, I've, they've said, I've said to them, you know, the Australians are really good. Like they, they could win the gold and they yeah. said, Oh yeah, they've got that. Um, they've got that kid who's going to be a lottery pick. And I go, yeah, well, he didn't even, I go, he's here, <laughs> but he didn't make the team. Um, yep. and so I think that kind of says that this is the best Australian prospect since when would you say? Since Ben Simmons, probably. Okay, Ben Simmons, right. I'm forgetting about that. It's very <laughs> strange. We don't really feel Ben Simmons is Australian. I know that that, that could be... Some Australians don't feel that way either. I mean, he, first off, we, we find it bizarre that he doesn't have an accent to our ears. That, that hap- yeah, that happens when uh, an Australian... Well, he has an American dad, um, but he went over to play at Montverde in Florida at the age of 16. Um, when I first met him, when he was just going into his senior year, I met him at the McDonald's All American Game in Chicago. You would have had you would have had a seventy percent, thirty percent, you know, Australian American accent. It's really gone to the point where it's ninety eight percent American. Yes, I mean we, I mean <laughs> that that's a big thing. You'd say, well, that's sort of myopic or that's sort of uh, shallow for Americans. But guess what? That's who we are. Um, but um, I mean, you know, this is a major player, uh, you know, hopefully the next great Australian player and, um, and he didn't even make the roster. So yeah. I think that says a, a lot about where they are as an organization, considering their next great Australian player is on the roster and the best Australian player is not on the roster. Uh, yeah. And yet here they are. And I think that says, you know, you talk about the depth of the Americans and of course they do have the most depth, but um, there's something to be said for that. And also, because of the few American players who have gone to Australia to play as teenagers, um, Lamelo Ball being being one, there is a more of an aware. There's more of an awareness of the Australian sure. league than there's been, you know, any time that I've been covering the NBA. Um, how much stock do you think? How much stock do you put into performances, and how much stock do you think NBA teams put into a good World Cup or a good Olympic campaign? Because uh, there was a question. So Thon Maker is also part of the Australian national program. He chose to not play in this Olympics. He would have been part of the extended squad. I think there's a good chance he would have made the team. He chose not to be a part of it so he can go and take part in NBA mini camps and NBA sort of trial sort of things. That was his explanation. Um, on the other hand, you see someone like Jock Landale who starts for this Australian team he's hoping to use this Olympic campaign to springboard him to an NBA deal. Um, you're looking at Matisse Thibel, who has looks to apparently have taken steps as a shooter, just as an overall player. Um, and then Patty Mills is, is an unrestricted free agent. Dante Exum, unrestricted free agent. Delhi, those sorts of guys. Do, do NBA teams put stock in these tournaments and playing well in these tournaments? For veterans, no. For young players, I think they just want to see him play as much as possible. Um, you know, there have been, you know, a handful of players who are evaluated, who come to, uh, mostly from Europe, who come to the U S when they're 20, come to the NBA when they're 27 or 28, uh, it doesn't happen very often, but typically the NBA is fascinated by the teenagers. So, uh, but I will say this, um, there's a, a number of American players who are not playing because they're of their free agent status. It's, uh, it's too much of a risk for them. Uh, some of them even not that they're even 
free agents, but they're, they're a year from free agency. They don't come. Sure. And yet here you have the Australian players, you know, with millions of dollars on the line playing, you know, Evan Fournier, Evan Fournier is about to have the most important contract of his career for France. He's playing, um, you know, so, um, you know, that's a, that's another factor that people don't understand. I mean, Patty Mills is, you know, it's a risk, I guess, I guess every day is, everything's a risk these days, but um, yeah. you know, and he, the way he talks about it with such passion, like it was never even a consideration. And like, look, yeah. I know he's, I'm not going to lay awake tonight saying, I wonder if Patty Mills will pay his bills because he's obviously, <laughs> right but I mean, um, uh, that's rare for an American to, American player to do that, which is why Kevin Durant coming to play. I mean, he's not a free agent or anything, but yeah. he doesn't need anything. He's got two gold medals. He's got two NBA titles. You know, he just came off of a, of a season. Nobody would blame him for not playing. He's played, you know, three times before, um, you know, he you know, won world cup in two Olympics, but you know, him coming, well, that stood out. People were like, wow, I can't believe Durant came. Um, yeah. but like nobody thought twice when Patty Mills said, Oh yeah, I'm going to play, uh, forget my contract. Yeah. And that's a real core difference between, uh, you know, the way the uh, American players look at it and, 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 uh, and the other countries. It's the sentiment that Australian people go into these campaigns thinking about. Um, and it's why there was, you, you broke the news of Ben Simmons being doubtful to be part of this, uh, campaign. And you saw the, there was vitriol that, that came your way just as the messenger toward Ben Simmons. Um, and I guess that's, does that, does that surprise you too? Cause that's, that's the, they're the values that Australian people largely hold that if you don't play for your national team, you are in effect un Australian. Um, now I think that's pretty absurd because there are just, there are other factors, but that, that doesn't surprise you. Does it? The fact that the, the, the values are just so different between two countries. Well, yes, uh, sport is so important to Australians. It's such a part of the national yeah. um, pride. You know, uh, basketball in Serbia is very important. Um, unlike many yeah. countries in Europe uh, where soccer is the number one game, football, uh, basketball is, is number one in Serbia. And, and Jokic, Nikola Jokic, said he wasn't going to play for the Serbian national team. And, I, you know, I, I couldn't read all the text, but I saw multiple tabloid newspapers in um in serbia basically calling him a traitor this is a guy who just won the mvp basically with the serbian flag on his back and you know played two two very difficult seasons in a row and just felt like he couldn't do it and um you know was called a national traitor when he is now when he is a national hero so i yeah. do understand that and and then the serbians didn't qualify uh for a number of reasons, but him not playing has got to be a big one. Bogdan Bogdanovich also couldn't play because he was still in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I mean, uh, I do, I do understand it, and um, I do feel it from those players when you talk to them about their national teams. You feel it when they talk when they talk about, it, and you see it the way they play. I mean, yeah. you know, you, I mean, I. That's, you know, that's the thing, you know, I'm so used to seeing players in the NBA do certain things. And you know, other times, like um, I'll see, I'll see guys, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have the bandwidth to follow European basketball. I mean, I'm loosely, loosely aware, like, you know, where some of the top players are, but 
I don't follow European basketball. So I'll go, you know, in my duties as international, I'll go to a tournament and I'll, or I'll be in something and I'll watch a game and I'll tell a scout, I'll be like, boy, that guy from the Czech Republic, that, that three man they have, like, he's a, he's a really good player. Like I, I really am impressed with the way he plays. And the scout will be like, yeah, he's like the fifth man on the year on his European team. Like he, he say, oh, he plays second division, you know, in yeah. Italy or whatever. And I'm like, really? Because he looked pretty darn good to me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's something about it that makes them more than they normally are. And uh, that's one of the reasons why it's, it's exciting. And that's why, to be honest, you want a competitive Olympic tournament. Getting into this field was really hard. Getting yeah. into this field was really, really hard. Um, and, you know, it's, there's nobody, you know, with the exception of maybe the Japanese and even the Japanese. I mean, the Japanese have two guys in the uh, NBA. How many do the Chinese have? Zero. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, with the, with the exception of the Japanese and maybe the Iranians, um, all of these teams are very dangerous. Um, yep. And I mean, so that should make, with all the players sniffing an opportunity that should make um, that should make for a great basketball. If we can get there and get this thing off the ground is what I'm hoping. Um, I know it's getting late for you. So I'll end on, on this sort of question being, being in Vegas and being around team USA and all the sort of consternation that's just surrounding that program right now. And um, obviously COVID disruption on top of the losses and, and that sort of thing. Um, a, in deep down, do you think, that this team can can win gold at the Olympics. It, the the last USA team came seventh, right? Um, mm-hmm. Granted, it wasn't as talented as this one, but based on what you've seen from other teams, other nations, and and what you've seen from this USA team so far, how much would you be willing to bet that that they will go all the way and win gold again? Yeah, well, I don't feel great about it, but I think they are absolutely the favorites. Um, sure. You know, in 2012, <clears throat> the London Games, the um, the Americans were the NBA players were coming off a lockout shortened season, and um, I know it's not quite apples to apples to this, but they were very sluggish in in um, the, the short the season was shorter, but it was smushed together, and so a lot of the players were much more fatigued. Um, coming you know doing coming into that and they struggled they struggled in their run-up games and they struggled a little bit in their pool play games i mean they obviously won easily but there was some more adversity than they had been used to facing because they hadn't lost in at that point in six years and you know but that team was very very talented you know um kobe was still on the team lebron was on the team um this team is not as talented but when it came to it they were able to find that rhythm and so the way the, the, you know, there's a lot of things going against the American team right now, the way the talent on the roster, I suspect they will get it together and begin to play better, but I'm not like anywhere near guaranteeing it. And, um, yeah. uh, <clears throat> you know, I just, it's one thing to like Greg Popovich put a lot of work into this, a lot of thought into this. Um, yeah. Some might say he was, you know, you know, as the Spurs sort of faded down the stretch, he may have already been in his head thinking about playing France. But um, it doesn't mean that it's going to work. But, I, I, you know, they do typically, 
in the NBA, the, the most talented team wins. There's yep. different ways to view the talent, but those seven game series. So yep. one off 40 minute games, it's hard to say, but the U S has the most talent. And I suspect that when it push comes to shove that that will show, but I do think it's going to be very hard. And um, when your margin for error is small and you have COVID coming at you where <clears throat> any day a sideways test and, you know, and there's all this concern about um, false positives yep. and stuff over there and, and what their protocols are going to be when they have a false positive and it's not hundred percent clear. And so with all of the variables, a turned ankle, COVID, um, just the nature of all this stuff, it's going to be wide open. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a significant bet. Down. I don't think the odds are, I don't think the, I think they're minus 400. So you'd have yeah. to bet 400 to win 100 here right now. <clears throat> I don't think that's an appropriate line. Uh, let's put yeah. it that way. I think it's, it's closer to even money than it is minus 400. And I think the Australians would, the Australian boomers at least would significantly disagree with pretty intensely disagree with that line too. Um, do you I'll, 20, actually, 20 to one this. boomers 20 to one you can get them in vegas 20 to 20 to one right now i think i saw it yesterday boomers 20 to one they're two and one in their last three games against team usa you're right the, the boom the boomers are the boomers are confident um and they have been for some time they think this is their year because in essence it's their potentially the final chance that this sort of senior core gets to, to right. be together um They've already lost Bogut. And so uh, that's sort of like, that's the reminder almost that father time is right there. It isn't right that Bogut's not on the team. It's not right. Just from a sentimentality standpoint. Well, I mean, you know, he's, is he the greatest Australian player ever? Is that, can you say that? Uh, There's a good argument for it. Local, local minds would say Andrew Gaze. There's the oh, argument yes. that obviously Lauren Jackson has achieved a, a ton in in you know women's basketball, yeah. but right. when it comes to just achieving as a male basketball player and and I guess longevity over a career, it's it's Andrew Bogut until Ben Simmons, <laughs> I guess, gets to that point. In right. Andrew Gaze, I remember I so much enjoyed the the feed that we had for the two games. I didn't go to Melbourne. I went to China, but I I didn't go to Melbourne the feed that we had was the Australian feed for those two games. Um, yeah. You know, where all the chairs were with no rake. That was, um, <laughs> <clears throat> that was enjoyable. I mean, it was, it was very fun from 7,000 miles away or whatever to see all that, but it was so very yeah. much enjoyable to watch the Australian feed, especially when they won the game. It was a huge moment, right? When they won that game in front of 80,000 fans or whatever. Um, like 50,000 fans, the 50, most 000? amount of fans in that building ever to watch a sporting event. Okay. It, was, it was a huge moment. Okay, huge moment. And um, then the other night, the uh, the Boomers win. Nice win, obviously. They just shook hands afterwards like it was just another routine day at the office, which I'm sure they were excited about and pleased with it. But um, that just tells you where they are. They beat the Americans like, yeah, I know. We just, we just did this. It's no big deal. And um, yeah. I think, you know, we all use the quote from Joe Ingles after the game. We said, yeah, we expect to win. Of course, we came in expecting to win. And that wasn't yeah. just lip service. You could just, you could tell he meant it. So, um, and, you know, all of us know Joe. So it'd be one thing if a guy came yeah. in and said, you know, who's this guy? 
No, we all know we all know Joe. So it's obvious, yeah. you know, when he says that, you know, we know what he means. So um, just right there, like you know, that's like one way that I know that the Americans are losing their their invincibility. I mean, it's obviously gone, but when teams would threaten, or you know, the few teams that beat the Americans, like that Greek team, they lost the uh, gold medal game to Spain in two thousand six they will be forever known as a team that beat the Americans. I mean, yeah. Mike Krzyzewski was 75 and one as head coach of team USA. And the loss was to Greece. I mean, they celebrated that victory. Like, um, like they'd won the, the world cup and the gold medal to, and the Olympic gold medal at the same time. Yeah. Now I you know, I saw it with, I saw it in China. The French are obviously very excited, but the Serbians were like, okay, whatever. Uh, the Nigerians were thrilled. It was the biggest win in uh, African basketball ever. And, you know, but I mean, they weren't doing, you know, backflips down the, down the arena. They took it as a, we knew we could do it. And so that to me tells me where the U S is. That's not, that's not a minus 400 favorite. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. The USA is no longer feared in the international community, at least not to the same extent as they once were. Um, I would argue that in a year or two's time, people in, basketball probably won't even remember Australia beating the USA in Vegas. Um, I think that might yes. be just a footnote in history. I don't think it'll be anywhere near the top of, of the history books when it comes to achievements in Australian basketball um, or in just or just moments in world basketball. It might not even be the biggest achievement this month. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, Brian, I would, I'm going to let you go to bed. Uh, I'm hopeful that your COVID tests and whatnot come back negative so you can make your way to tokyo and cover the tournament from there but thank you for your time this is this has thank been a lot you. of fun let's do it again anytime hopefully hopefully i'll see you soon <laughs> <laughs>